you have your Bibles with you, please open up to Habakkuk chapter 1. And the text that uh, Eric just read for you, thank you Eric, was from the book of Habakkuk, specifically verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. So if you're new today, what we tend to do as a church is we tend to work through books of the Bible and try to figure out the meaning of the text together and ask God's Spirit to show us that and ask God's Spirit to show us how to apply it to our lives. And so we bounce back and forth between the Old and New Testaments and we are currently in the book of Habakkuk, which Habakkuk congregation, is Habakkuk a major prophet or a minor prophet? Minor Minor prophet. He's a minor prophet not because what he has to say isn't important, but because what he has to say is, is short. It's not there. There's not many chapters to it. So the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, others, are longer, so they're known as the major prophets. Habakkuk is known as the minor prophets. And Habakkuk is in the mix with a few other books of the Bible, and together they're called the book of the, and there's a number I want to hear from the congregation, book of the twelve, these twelve minor prophets that are together. And as we read them, it's really important for us not to just pull out Habakkuk by itself, but to realize that it's in the context of all these minor prophets, these twelve minor prophets together. To set the context again quickly for you, two weeks ago we started in chapter 1, and what we realized was this was an oracle to Habakkuk, but it's really this conversation that takes place between God and Habakkuk. Congregation, Habakkuk's name has an interesting meaning. What does Habakkuk's name mean? To hug or to embrace. So again, our prayer is, my prayer is, that we will feel the love of God through the embrace or the hug of Habakkuk as we work through this book together. We said that Habakkuk is a, was a prophet. Remember, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Congregation is Habakkuk. Which kingdom is Habakkuk with? The <laughs> getting quieter. <laughs> the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom had already fallen by this point in 722 when the Assyrians came through. Again, after many warnings from the prophets that they would fall if they did not repent. They didn't repent. They kept breaking God's law. The Assyrians came and took over the northern kingdom. So now, the southern kingdom, Judah, still exists, and Habakkuk is giving warnings to the southern kingdom through this conversation he has with God. So we started off two weeks ago, and Habakkuk has this complaint, if you'll remember. He says to God, why aren't you doing anything? Look at all this evil that's going on around me. Aren't you holy? Aren't you just? You should be doing something about this, God. And what was interesting, if you'll remember, is Habakkuk wasn't just talking about the world around him. He was specifically talking about Judah, God's people. And so we've said over the last couple weeks, this is something maybe that we need to be praying to God about His people, His church, this one specifically, but the one all around the world, his church. We need to be crying out to God, saying, God, will you do something about the evil that exists inside the church? Amen. Amen. Because it's everywhere, and it's confusing. It confuses the world. They say, oh, you're a Christian, and you say you follow Jesus, 
in this book, but look at what that pastor did, or that priest did, or I know some deacons, they come to my, my bank, and the way they act, huh, I'll never step foot in a church. And part of that is their own heart issues that exists, but part of that is the fact that we are not a pleasing aroma sometimes as the church. We're a pretty stinky aroma. That's right, encouragement. You're a stinky aroma sometimes. We, I am at times. And we need to continually cry out to God, will you do something about this? And I don't always mean, will you do something about them and the evil in their lives? Will you do something about the evil in my life, in my heart? And the great thing is, overall, He has done something about it. He sent Jesus to come and live that perfect life, born of a virgin, and live that perfect life, the life we should have lived. And as Jesus lives that perfect life that we should have lived, He then, wrongly, is crucified on the cross, the death we should have died. And God pours out His wrath on Jesus instead of pouring it out on us. And so He says, I've taken that sin away, and I've given you, if you trust in Jesus, I've given you a new heart. You have this new heart now, and so you're able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit mixed with His Word, to not have this evil around. We can continually look more and more like Jesus. Does it mean we're going to be perfect? No, not in this life. But we should be heading that direction. We should be heading that direction. And we have the power, again, by the Spirit and the Word, to defeat Satan, to defeat sin. We can put sin to death, as we're commanded to do. Because if we don't put sin to death... It will put us to death, as one theologian says. So, as Habakkuk cries out, and again, this is us, this is who we are, cries out, God, how long will we cry out to you and you don't do anything? That was the first Sunday. The second Sunday, we got to see God's response to Habakkuk. And as Habakkuk seemed to be crying out to God, the the Lord intervenes and he says, hey, look, to get our attention. Look, to get Habakkuk's attention. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And we saw how that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus, the work that he's doing there. That's a great work. But those who reject it now, those who rejected him then, they have calamity coming. You, if you've rejected that, in essence, hell's coming. You don't want that, you want the gift. Gifts are so, aren't gifts great? How many people in here, show hands real quick, please. How many people like gifts? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, I'd know you're lying, because I know everybody likes gifts. Gifts are great. Gifts are great. Heaven is a gift. A relationship with God is a gift that we can have. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. How many of you, with your salary or work that you've ever had, how many of you would rather have worked every day to get the money that you've made, or... It would just be given to you. How many of you would prefer to work every day and then receive the money? That's what you were like. Yeah, I want to work every day. You'd rather do that. Then somebody just come up and say, you know what? I love you. Here's the same amount of money just as a gift. How many would you rather have that? Okay, kind of split. All right. We got some jobs for you to do around the church. For those of you who want to work, we've got a lot of things. Nursery, we got some different things for you. The point is with salvation... Even if you try to work for it, you can't get it. In fact, if you try to work for it, it ruins it. 
You can't have it. It's the one thing that can only be received by grace. Because it's Jesus' righteousness that's given to you through faith. Your righteousness could never do it. And your works, if you're new here, you may have not heard this before, all the works you've done before Jesus are just filthy rags, and they don't mean anything in the sight of God. You need Christ, you need the Holy Spirit, so you can receive the righteousness of Christ. So the Lord answers Habakkuk, says, I'm doing a great thing. And then he says, which I don't think Habakkuk was expecting, I'm raising up this nation, these Babylonians, look around and see what I'm doing. I'm raising them up, and they're coming for you. And they're going to take over. They're going to kill, and they're going to capture and lead you away. And as we talked about, that's equivalent to us crying out as we should be as a church saying, God, please remove the evil in my heart and please remove any evil in this church. We want to be holy. We want to be set apart. And God says, oh, I'm doing something. Don't worry. I've got ISIS coming down the street. We would all go, whoa. (laughs) And that's what we're about to see today. So we saw Habakkuk's complaint. We saw God's response last week. And then today we're going to see Habakkuk respond again. Starting in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Here's Habakkuk's second complaint to God after he just heard ISIS is coming or Babylonians are coming. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. A couple of things that stand out. Right away, Habakkuk appeals to who God is. Because he doesn't understand the situation. He says, wait, I want you to do something. You're bringing an evil nation to come and wipe us out and, and capture us. So he wants to right away, kind of, remind God who God is. Now, do you think God forgets who he is? No. No. His name is I Am. Like, that's his name. Just who he is. He's not going to forget who he is. He is who he is. So Habakkuk starts with, Are you not from everlasting? Psalm 102.12. I'll read it to you. It won't be up on the screen. But you, O Lord, are in, you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. How long is his throne? Forever. In the book of Revelation, going the other direction, one eight, Jesus is talking. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Just in case you're not good with the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and the Z. I'm everlasting. That's who he is. So Habakkuk is speaking truth here, right? He's saying, God, are you not from everlasting? So first he makes a plea to the fact that God is outside of time and he knows everything. Okay, He's making a plea to the fact that, God, you know everything. You've always existed. First thing he's doing. Next, he says, O Lord my God, my Holy One. So he's calling him his God, this personal relationship again, because he's part of God's people. 
and God chose them. My God, and then holy ones. So now he's talking about God's holiness. You know everything. You've existed forever. So you're powerful. You're all powerful. And you're holy. So he's reminding God, you're all these things, God. We shall not die. Two parts here. One, if those things are true, what he's saying is we shouldn't die. There's no reason for us to die. You could stop this. ISIS is coming. You can stop it. You know everything. You're all powerful and you're holy. And they're not good people. They shouldn't be coming. They're coming to kill us. You can stop that. You're holy. You wouldn't allow that to happen. We shall not die. So he's crying out to God. But he's also saying the promises, which are so important in Scripture, the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David. All throughout Scripture, we see these promises that God has a love for his people and he will bring the Messiah and he will save his people. So he's saying, he's actually speaking truth. We will not die completely. Eternally, we're not going to die because you're who you are. But at the same time, you've got to do something about this because you are powerful, all-knowing, and holy. You have to do something about this. Look what he says. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. We talked about this last week a little bit, and we talked about it on Wednesday. You have ordained them for judgment. This doesn't mean they're coming to do these bad things, and you're just kind of sitting back letting that happen. That's not what that word means. You have ordained it. You are using them. In Isaiah 10.5, referring to the northern kingdom, you remember we talked about the northern kingdom and the Assyrians came, it actually says that that is God's rod of discipline on the northern kingdom. Do you realize that God disciplines those he loves? Let me ask you a question. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, do you discipline them or have you disciplined them when they've done wrong? Let me ask you this. Do you also hear over and over again that the problem with our culture today is that we've not disciplined the children, we just let them do whatever they want to do? See a lot of heads, yeah, yeah. The truth of the matter is, if you do not want to discipline your children, then guess what? Truthfully, according to Scripture, you don't really love them. Because if you love them, you're going to do what's hard. And that means you're going to discipline them. They don't need a friend. They're not trying to be be your friend. They need to be your children. Now, does that turn into a unique friendship? Yes. Of course, there's this relationship. But again, the way that we see God, our Heavenly Father, is part of how we see our earthly Father sometimes. And again, some of us have had a blessing to have a great, godly Father. And we can see some of God. He's not perfect. God's perfect. But yeah, I see some of those traits of God. When He says yes, my dad, His yes means yes. When He says no, His no means no. When I get out of line, he loves me enough to discipline me. My heavenly father will do the same thing. But if we mess that up, there's going to be concerns. We're going to miss it. Okay? He's ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Ultimately, what God is saying here, or what Habakkuk is saying is about God, you've ordained them. This is how you've set it up to be. You're allowing this to happen. In fact, you're making this happen. You could stop them. 
Now look where he goes to verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. What he's saying here, he's saying, you're, you're so holy and you're so good that you can't even look at evil. You can't even look at it. So now what happens is some people take this verse and they go to the cross with it. And when they go to the cross, Jesus is on the cross, and do you remember one of the things he cries out to God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? And so what people will say is, in that moment, there's this break in the relationship between the Father and the Son. Let me encourage you that I don't think that's the case. Because part of God being God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, is there forever one. Can't be a disconnect there. It's part of the nature of who God is. So the question is, well, why is he saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought it was tied to this, because people will use this verse and say, because Jesus was taking the wrath of God, but all the sin was on him, God had to turn his back. How many have heard that before? God turned his back on the Son. You ever heard that? That's coming, that's driven by this verse. The problem is that's not what the verse is saying. How can a God who sees everything not see sin? He's interacting throughout Scripture with people who are in sin. What does he do with Noah? Think about it for a second. Noah, right? He talks to Noah. He says, I'm seeing all this sin in the world, so I'm going to wipe it out. So he sees the evil. He sees the sin. And guess what? He sees it all the way into our hearts and into your heart. Just because you have the good show on the outside doesn't mean God doesn't see it. He sees it in our hearts. So what's interesting is that's not what this verse is saying. What he's saying is, you who are pure of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up and the man more righteous than he swallows up the man more righteous than he? What he's saying is, you're so good and holy that this evil doesn't make sense. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, you can't even see evil. Guess what, friends? If he couldn't even see evil, then he couldn't see any of us. Especially before we were believers. Now that we're in Christ, certainly he sees the righteousness of Christ over us. But I'm thankful that before time even started in his plan, he saw each one of us and said, I love you. I'm sending my son for you to pursue you. So what he's saying is, I don't get it, God. I don't see how you're so holy, you're so good, you know everything, you're everlasting, how this evil can take place. I don't get it. I didn't get it before when I talked to you the first time. Now you're saying you're doing something else. That's even worse. Before you were letting evil happen, now you're going to use someone, a a nation who's more evil than we are to come and judge us. I don't get that, God. Relax and... Be okay with the fact that you're never going to understand everything about God. He tells us that in his word, and we should really believe him, that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But don't we have this temptation to constantly want to know why? Explain it to me. I need to know why. Sometimes in his grace, he lets us know. Sometimes he lets us know while things are happening. Sometimes he lets us know after the fact, and we look back and go, oh, That's what you were doing. And then other times, we never know in this life. And we need to learn to be okay with that. We need to learn to be okay with that.
Verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of, of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, verse 15. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. He's talking about the Babylonians and what they're coming to do. I really was hoping that Roy would be here this week, for those of you who know that I bring Roy up on the stage some. I was thinking about getting a hook and a net and was going to try to show you what that could look like. Any other volunteers for that, possibly? <laughs> George might be, Mr. George might be willing. No, but I think, I think especially living where we are, I think we can start to see some of this. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. We're just, you've made us just be out there, and there's, there's, no, one, there's no order. There's no, one, there's no protection. We're just out there, and the fishermen, the Babylonians who are coming, or ISIS are coming, they can just come do whatever they want. They can just take us away. God, help, help me understand this. He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his net. You ever seen fish caught in a net? They look like they're in control in that scenario. They're scared. Going crazy, right? They don't know what's going on. He's saying, that's what you're making. You're making mankind. You're making your people like these fish. I don't understand it, God. This is also interesting because the Babylonians actually did this stuff. When they would go in and they would capture places, they would literally put people in nets and drag them. Or they would take hooks and go through their mouth or maybe even their nose and lead them away. So he's talking about this, and it's scary. Now look at this, end of 15. He gathers them in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. They're so excited because... Just like when you go fishing and you're out there on the cast net, whatever, you, you get fish. Hey, this is a good time, good day. Look at all this fish, right? They're doing the same thing. Look at all these people we've destroyed. Look at this nation we've got. Yes, we have them. Look at, look at the response. Verse 16. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. What they do is they have these nets and they... Their weapons, the Babylonians, their weapons are so great and powerful that as they take over nation after nation, they don't rejoice to God. They rejoice in their nets and the things that they've made. Here's the application for us. Anything that gives us what we want makes us joyful, gives me the things I want. We have a tendency to worship that. Money, perhaps your job, a person where we may worship somebody else because we get what we want from them instead of the one who's given us all things, God. We need to be careful that we don't do the same thing. Finishing up here. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food, and his food is rich. So Habakkuk then says, verse 17, Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Are you just going to let this happen over and over, God? You know what he's calling, he's saying to God right now? If you do this, you're wrong. If you let this child who's sick die, God, I think you're wrong. If you let my 
child who's sick die, God? I think you might be wrong. There's different things that we're tempted all the time in our lives to question God and say, I don't see it that way. And whether we'd like to admit it or not, sometimes deep in our hearts we're thinking, I wouldn't do it that way. And you're doing it that way. I've got problems with that. The encouragement is, you're no different than Habakkuk. The encouragement is, we all struggle with this. But it's not where we can stay. We can't stay there. We need to trust in God. So here's what Habakkuk says. I don't quite get what you're doing. I don't agree with it. You're supposed to be from everlasting. You know everything. You're all powerful. You're holy. Your eyes can't even see sin. This evil nation's coming to do this damage. They're worse than we are. Are you going to keep letting this happen? They don't even worship you. They worship their stuff. So here's how he ends our last verse. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Okay, imagine a fortified city back in the day, a wall going all around the city with these different towers. And look out and see what he will say to me. He's talking about God. I'm going to wait. And what I will answer, answer concerning my complaint. Ultimately, what he's saying is, especially it's so important during that time when raiders would come to attack, you have to have those who are the watchmen. You have to. Because if you don't see them coming, you can't prepare. If you can't prepare, then you're going to get destroyed. So he's saying, ultimately, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up as high as I can, up on the walls. And I'm going to wait to hear from you, God. Here's my complaint. And so, friends, whatever your complaint is in your heart that you're struggling with, wait for the Lord to respond. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't don't try to make logical sense of it. Ask for Him to reveal it to you. He may or may not. But at least Habakkuk is looking the right direction. He's saying, God, I want to hear from you concerning this. Part of that in our context means you're going into His Word and you're looking. It means prayer. It means waiting. My encouragement is get up in the watchtower and wait for the Lord to reveal things to you. Last thing I want to say. If you realize what Jamie read in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, ties into that. I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. More than a watchman for the morning. That's what's being said here. So the encouragement is wait for the Lord, watch for His response, hope in His Word. Don't question, though, His goodness his power, or his holiness. That's not the right thing to question. You notice what it said here. They use these nets to come and just take people away. Destroy them. People are like fish. Let me encourage you with something real quick, how Jesus spins that on on its head. Last thing I'm going to say, Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Listen to what Jesus does. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. 
It's interesting that Jesus turns this whole thing on its head. It's a terrible picture that we see in Habakkuk that they're coming and just dragging people away. But Jesus uses the same idea of these nets in a positive way of come and let's fish for men. Let's net them with the gospel. Let's throw those nets. Don't throw the net like I would where it's a banana peel. Don't do that. Throw it so it spreads out in a beautiful way. Cast the gospel far and see when it's brought in what God will do and see the people that will be saved, brought from condemnation to salvation, whereas Israel's being brought from their salvation to condemnation. Judah in particular, who we're talking about. Respond that way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture that shows us that you are doing a great work and even and often, Lord, you're doing this great work that we really do not understand. And Lord, it makes us uncomfortable. These bad things that come, Lord, these judgments that's come, Lord, these discipline. Lord, I pray right now that for my brothers and sisters, if they've got really hard things going on in their lives, Lord, we know that that may just be a result of sin in this world. And you're still using that, these trials you're using to strengthen our faith, Lord. We know you're always making good. But Lord, I also pray that today that if there are brothers and sisters here, I pray that they would also ask, Lord, are you disciplining me for something? Lord, am I, am I in sin and I'm just going my own way and what, what's going on in my life right now is just discipline from you because you love me? I pray that you'd reveal that to my brothers and sisters if they have that. But Lord, if that's not what it is, if, if what's going on in, the, in our lives right now, all these prayer requests, if that's just the fact that we live in a fallen world and you are working to receive glory and to strengthen our faith, then I pray that you would give us that faith. Lord, help us to stand watch. Help us to hope into your word, hope in your word, and stand watch for you to respond to us. Help us to not doubt your goodness, your power, your holiness, your knowledge. Help us to trust in you. And Lord, if there are any here today who do not know you, they've never cried out for salvation, I pray that they would. In Jesus' name, amen.